Today on the show, we are talking about the age-old question, should you rent or should you buy? Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, where we focus on your money from a Canadian perspective. This podcast is produced weekly and shows for every episode can be found at livelife.org.ca. Now let's get on to the show. Hey everybody, I'm your host Courtney, and joining me today is my co-host Trevor. As mentioned in the introduction, today we are discussing, is it better to rent or is it better to buy your home? So, Trevor, you've recently read a book, The Wealthy Renter by Alex Avery. Can you just break down for our listeners what this book is all about? Well, this book is a great book for anybody who's contemplating buying or renting, obviously, or somebody who owns a home and maybe they want to move to another city and it kind of, you know, renting is a good idea to, at the, in the short term anyway. Uh, one thing about that that really drew me to this book is it's, it's all Canadian, complete Canadian perspective. It touches on major cities in Canada and real estate issues there. It, it is extremely Canadian content. It really summarizes the, the seven things. It's a, it's a fairly short book. It's only 200 pages. But in my mind, these seven points uh, really resonated with me. That's why I want to I sort of do this show on it. And the other reason I, I just wanted to mention, I want to do this rent versus buy analysis because last week's show, we talked about the new mortgage rules. And uh, that's going to impact a lot of people's ability to buy a house. So I think this is very, the timing on this is, is, is really good. Oh, it definitely is. So the seven reasons why renting is a better financial decision than buying. So we're just going to run through the seven reasons, all of which are pulled directly from Alex Avery's book. Um, so the first reason is no house price risk. So in this, in, in this um, subsection, it says time and location are two important factors to consider. So Trevor, can you just kind of go over what Alex Avery said about this? Yeah, so time and location are, are pretty big factors in real estate in the pricing of a house. And the timing is if you're getting into the housing market and you get in at the peak of a housing boom, you're obviously paying a huge premium to get in. And that could really sink you if, if the market turns down and then uh, you're stuck in that house because you can't afford to, to get out of it. Say you, you had another job opportunity in another city. You, you literally can't afford to sell that house because it's, it's fell below the market price that you paid for it. Uh, that's the timing. And the location, uh, he, what he talks about in there is you may have bought what you thought was the ideal location. And maybe at the time when you bought it was. But uh, at that time, again, this is a timing aspect, but just say the, the land across the street from where you bought has been rezoned for high-rise condos or maybe a shopping mall. Either way, it, it might be undesirable. Uh, so the location at one point in time could be ideal. At another point in time, it could be not ideal. So both of those things could impact the price, the value of your home, what you could sell it for. Um, so number two, it is no transaction costs. And within this subsection, it talks about brokerage fees. So how does all of that play together in making renting seem more appealing? So with trans with real estate, when you buy a house, you have to pay land transfer tax. You have to pay legal fees, uh, maybe administrative fees for setting up your mortgage. And then when you go to sell, well, you have to pay real estate commission, uh, legal fees again. And these transaction costs make moving a very expensive alternative, you know, a very expensive option. So in he compares in his book is if you were to invest in a in a mutual fund, there's almost no transaction fees in comparison. So from an investment standpoint, there's a lot of transaction fees that I just mentioned. But if you're renting, uh, the worst case scenario is you might have to pay a penalty if you break a lease. So it it's um it affects your mobility, which is point number three. But the transaction costs it really cuts into your investment gains. That's a very valid point. I really like that one. 
Um, and as you just touched on before, number point three is mobility. And a keyword that comes up in this subsection is commitment. So I just kind of explain what Alex Avery had to say about um, this. Well, with with this one is when you buy, it limits your mobility because of those transaction costs. And also, it, it just takes time to sell a house. You have to, you know, you people talk about getting the house ready to sell. Maybe there's some small repairs they need to do. You need to list it with an agent and then show your house. People come through and look at it and then... Once somebody's decided to buy it and they put an offer in and you accept it, it might be three months later before you actually close the deal and, and they take possession of your home. So you could be looking at six months to a year. That If you say you found a job in another town that you really wanted, well, you're six months to a year away from getting, you know, unloading your, your current residence and moving to that other town. So you may... You just may miss out on some great career advancement opportunities if you were to buy a house. But if you're renting it, a lot of times if you're just on a month to month and you're not on a lease, you're looking at 30 days and you could you could be out of the your current rented res- residence and into your, a new one in another city. And that mobility, especially when you're young, I think is critical trying to build a career. And what I do like about this section as well um, is that your housing needs, which is a part in the section, that your housing needs do change over time. So it is a little ridiculous to think that the house that you bought at age 25 is going to be exactly what you need if you stay in it for your whole life um, up until say age 40 like that's a long time and family plans change and I think it's important to think about how like you said it's harder to um, to accommodate things when they do change well to your point um, at some point you will be over consuming your housing uh, needs in that if you end up buying a house in your 20 late mid 20s that's going to be big enough for your family when you have four kids Uh, obviously at some point you're going to have more house than you need definitely so moving on to the fourth point um no lumpy maintenance costs so what did alex avery have to say about this trevor so lumpy maintenance costs is really repairs on houses they don't sort of flow nice and smooth like your income does they tend to come in 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 bunches like you'll need a roof every I don't know, 20 years. That, that may be five grand. You need windows maybe every 20 years, and that can be thousands of dollars. And you might need a furnace, and that may be seven to $10,000. The right way to do it is to save a little bit of money every month in anticipation of these expenses. But if you don't do that, you end up with these huge expenses that happen periodically, usually at the least opportune time. But if you're renting, you, you're, you have cost certainty. You know how much your rent is. There's going to be no surprises. You pay your rent every month. And if the furnace goes, well, that's the landlord's problem. So it, it's kinda, it's, it gives you a very predictable expenses. And what I like about this point and the analogy I kind of thought of when I read it was the, the repairs on a house are, is like buying a car but not being able to afford the tires for it. That's a very, yeah, that's a really good example. So when your roof leaks, you have to be able to afford it. There's no other option. You just have to be able to. Just like when your car, when you need new tires, you need new tires because the car or the house are both unfunctionable without them. That's true. That's so, very true. So I, I, I think that's a great point, though, and something that you have to be mature enough to think about. Do I have, I know I have enough for the house, but do I have enough to cover all the things that could possibly go wrong with it? So it definitely takes a mature mindset to be able to think that way. So point number five is lower costs. So what did Alex Avery have to say about this one, Trevor? Well, this is one where there's a lot of costs associated with home ownership that, that people don't seem to bring into their equation, whether I should rent or buy. There's property taxes. There's house maintenance. There's a mortgage interest. There's the transaction fees we talked about. All these things, just you, they just represent a lower cost base. 
So number six is no investment creep. So I know Alex Avery lists a couple things that make a good investment, things that must be present in order for the investment to be good. Um, so just kind of break that down for us and also what else this subsection entails. Well, investment creep is, is really when you buy more than you need. And when you, if you've ever been out house shopping, uh, it, it, it ends up being a very emotional decision as opposed to a logical decision. And people tend to uh, get consumed by uh, granite countertops and extra rooms that they may or may not need. They, well, they may need in the future, but they, they end up buying more house than they need. It really talks about how when you're in, rent, in a renting environment, you tend to just rent for your current needs. Um, so Trevor, what are the good investment criteria that Alex just had laid out within this section? Yeah, so he talks about a good investment is one made without personal bias, has no emotional aspect. The purchase and the sale decision are made purely based on the investment's expected return prospects. Housing doesn't meet this standard because you live in a home. It really becomes part of your identity. And I think people get, if you've ever been to host shopping, people get caught up in it. It becomes a very emotional decision. And a lot of times I've been victim to this too, is you end up buying more house than you need. This, this sounds like a concept that is easier said than done, though, because the, when you read off the good investment criteria, it really doesn't sound like the typical, it doesn't sound like you're shopping for a house with those criteria. No, and w- well, that, that's why he's saying, you know, if you don't have that discipline, you, maybe you should be a renter. That's a very good point. Um, so our very last point is better location. So what did Alice Avery have to say about this? Well, with location, uh, with some of the booming cities in Canada like Toronto and Vancouver that the best locations are just are becoming unaffordable for the average person and a good location is one that has it, it good proximity to employment transportation and commerce and if you think of a place that meets all those things it would be somewhere in downtown Toronto and a lot of people can't afford to, to buy in downtown Toronto but renting down there maybe makes more sense it's still expensive but Compared to buying, maybe not. That's a great point. Um, so, Trevor, before I move on, I'm just going to relist all of these seven, um, the seven main reasons why renting is a better financial decision. So, one, no house price risk. Number two, no transaction costs. Number three, mobility. Number four, no lumpy maintenance costs. Number five, lower cost. Number six, no investment creep. And number seven, better locations. So, Trevor, we're now going to go through some key concepts that Alex Avery feels are important and critical to understand when you're making housing choices. So, number one, the decision to become a homeowner or the decision not to become a homeowner is the biggest financial decision you are likely to make in your entire life. I couldn't agree with this one more because it is basically the the main the, the biggest financial asset anybody I know has. So it it it, it deserves a lot of focus. Number two, the cards are stacked against you. Virtually every source of advice on housing is biased, from the government, which prefers you own, to agents, who want you to transact quickly, to family, who want you to have the safety net of forced savings, to even the economists who are calling for a crash in prices. Housing is a complicated thing, and there are no good source of advice. Ranting is always the best way to neutralize all this bad advice. Yeah, I think this is a, a very important one because I was influenced by my parents. I, I grew up in, they owned a house, their parents owned a house. I mean, there's a legacy that gets passed on and people just... And to, and to that point, I think books on why to rent like Alex Avery's is a must need in this world because it goes against the status quo what people are pushing towards you. 
Um, so number three, if you decide to be a renter, find a forced savings plan that works for you, preferably more than one. Having forced savings will ensure you build wealth over time and have a secure financial future. This one is the critical one. If you don't what have, is forced savings, Trevor? Well, forced savings is when you buy a house, you get a mortgage and you have to pay that mortgage back. In essence, that's, that's you putting money in a savings account. A little bit goes in your savings account, a little bit goes to pay the bank interest. So in essence, that's the forced savings. So when you're paying rent, you don't have a lot of these additional costs that we talked about earlier. You need the discipline to save that money and invest it. Otherwise, 20 years from now, you'll you'll be no better off than, than when you started renting. Um, so point number four, if you decide to be a homeowner, take your time. Figure out what you want from housing and wait for the right opportunity. Buying the wrong house is very expensive. And, this, and this, this is the point that I was talking about earlier, how I feel like there is a panic to buy a house. Well, there's a panic right now because people are in the mindset, if I don't buy now, I'll never be able to afford to because of the way prices are going up. Uh, I, I think that's a horrible this way to approach the housing market. Another example is, is if, you were, if, I moved, if you moved to another city, uh, you don't want to jump into the real estate market there. You, you don't know where the good neighborhoods are or the bad neighborhoods are. You might be better to rent. And the reason it's, it's very expensive if you make the wrong decision, it's all those transaction costs we talked about. It, it just costs a, a lot of money to, to buy and sell houses. Great point. Number five, if you're going to buy a home, figure out how the land you're buying represents as a percentage of the purchase price so you can get a sense of long-term return potential. So what, the, he, what he's talking about here, and this is a, a, a very brilliant uh, concept. I it just I probably knew it, but I needed somebody to sort of turn the light on for me. Real estate is made up of two things, the land and the structure, the structure being a house. The land appreciates, the structure depreciates, and you need to constantly add money to that structure to maintain its value. The land, you don't need to do anything to. So he's saying when you buy real estate, make sure you're paying more for the land, less for the building. That makes it a very sound investment. This sounds like a very simple concept, but one that I feel not many are aware of or consider when purchasing Well, whenever you, whenever you talk to people about real estate, they never talk about the land. All they talk about is, is the, the structure, the thing they're going to live in. Of course, they're gonna, it's going to mean a lot to them, but they never really talk about the actual location they have. You know, Unless it's waterfront property, they don't really mention you know, it's on a quiet street or uh, it's really close to public transit. You, you never hear that. So it's uh, Number six, be aware of and consciously try to avoid investment creep. Renting is the best way to avoid investment creep. For home buyers, it's easy to let it creep in and leave you house poor. Whether you rent or buy, have a budget and a list of features that you want and resist the urge to spend more to get more. Housing is a consumption item. Yeah, and this one, uh, I, I don't know anybody who hasn't fell, fell victim to this. Investment creep. It, everybody in the business, it's, it, their incentive to, to sell you more house, the bank, to loan you more money. But it, it is hard to resist. Again, we talked about it earlier, it's a very emotional thing buying a house. Some people will have a, I've seen a triple car garage, only two cars in the driveway. That's investment creep. I, I've seen a four bedroom house with only two kids. That's investment creep. So I think it's, it's quite more common than, than people think. And as an aside, more than just being an emotional impact, it's also a strain on your budget and your, your will and your ability to repay your mortgage as well. Um, so number seven, try to minimize the number of times you buy and sell houses. Transaction costs are huge, particularly when you consider the impact relative to your equity in a home with a mortgage. Spending the time to make the right choices should help you achieve this goal. 
Renting also massively reduces this cost. Yeah, so I've lived in my house for 20 years. In my neighborhood, I only know one other person who's been here longer than me. So people are incurring those transaction costs. I've seen a couple of houses in my neighborhood. In in the 20 years I lived here, I've seen, let me think, maybe eight people live in, in this one house. That's a lot of transaction costs. For sure. And if you can avoid it, then you should. Number eight, know how much rent you are paying. Whether it's to yourself because you own your home outright, to the bank because you have a mortgage, or to a landlord because you're renting. It's an important piece of financial information too many people don't have. Yeah, and this one, it was an interesting one. If I was going to say, it's it's interesting to think of yourself as paying rent well, well, if and, you own your home. And what, what that, So if you own your home outright, you don't have a mortgage there's still an opportunity cost to you staying in that rent, in that piece of real estate. You, you could move to something smaller and invest uh, the difference in, in, into uh, a, a mutual fund, some stocks, bonds, and maybe get a better return. So just by staying in a completely paid-for house, you there's an, a renting cost, which it turns out is an opportunity cost, that you're by not making a decision and staying in the house, you're actually making a decision to not invest that money. That's a great concept. And it's interesting to think about because I'm sure many people don't think of it that way. And that's a form of investment creep as well. If you become an empty nester and you have a four-bedroom house, you're making an opportunity cost decision by staying there. Very, very true. Definitely. So last but not least on our list is number nine. Try to get as much of your total asset base into assets that both go up in value and provide income, like dividends paying stocks. Uh, and as little of it as possible in depreciating negative cash flow category. The more you can do that, the more wealth you'll build over time. So he's saying here, if you are a renter, in, invest in, in a dividend stock. It, it'll, it, it, by doing that, it actually gives you a stream of income to pay your rent, which I think is a brilliant idea. And the, the other aspect of this he's saying is don't, depreci- don't invest in depreciating assets or negative cash flow things. And that would be the house, the structure. So if it's a real estate investment, again, we go back to the land and the building. The building is consumption. It is total expense. And so if you're going to have money tied up in in a real estate investment, just say it's a a rental unit, make sure that land is a significant piece of that investment. Definitely. So that was all nine things to consider when making a housing choice that Alex has laid out in his book. And I just want to say that even though this book is called The Wealthy Renter, it really broke down real estate into angles I never considered. A lot of this book is about real estate and what drives the cost of real estate. But I, I just wanted to mention that why those nine points are about real estate are in a renting book. So the next thing I wanted to uh, talk to our listeners about was the golden rule of real estate, which is an interesting concept. Alex Avery lays out really well within his book. Yeah, so this is really the golden rule of real estate. And I'm just going to read a piece from his book here. The value of the building never goes up. The value of the land does. Buildings depreciate, deteriorate, and require constant maintenance to maintain their value. The cost of material and labor to build or maintain a structure will go up by inflation, not appreciation. So that, that's an interesting concept that the, the, the cost of the building does go up, but only by the cost it would take to build that building in terms of labor and materials. And then land value, land value will go up based on sev- several factors, and he's got four of them. So supply and demand is the biggest one, that me- meaning the, the number of people that want to buy houses in a p- given market and the number of houses for sale. So if there's uh, more people wanting to buy houses than there's houses available, obviously the price will go up. And if there's more houses 
is available and people want to buy them, the price will go down. So another factor that will make the price of land go up and down is its proximity to employment, transportation, and commerce. And commerce being shopping, schools, things like that. So uh, the, the golden rule of real estate, and I've probably heard this before, but he, he worded it in a very elegant way that may really turn the light on for me. So another very important thing that he touched on within the book, which we also touched on earlier, is forced savings. So what what really does he say are strategies that make forced savings easy if you're going to rent? So the importance of forced savings, again, is if, if you have a mortgage and you're paying it back, each of those mortgage payments represents the paying back the equity in that home and paying back the interest of the bank. So that is a form of forced savings. So if you're a renter, you need to come up with a strategy to force yourself to save the money that you're saving each month by renting and not paying for all those additional homeowner costs. And so some of them are pretty obvious. So automatic transfers to an RSP or a TFSA, a whole life insurance policy is kind of a gives you life insurance plus savings. Not a fan of those. Um, a corporate share purchase loans. So this is uh, if you work for a large corporation, a lot of times they will uh, do a, a big share share purchase of their own shares and you'll pay pay the company back off payroll deduction. Uh, Canada Savings Bonds, I, I've done that through my employer. Uh, dividend reinvestment programs, this is where you buy into a dividend fund and you reinvest the dividends as they pay out back into the fund. And uh, of course, old-fashioned discipline. Uh, you know, save your money. Just every time you get paid, make sure part of your paycheck is automatically transferred to a savings account. Trevor, if you don't engage in forced savings, is the benefits of renting then nullified? Oh, it's a it's a complete loss. If you don't, you need to build wealth some way, somehow. And I, I say this again, I, I don't think I, I, in my 20s, I would have possessed the self-discipline to build the wealth. So for me, buying was the right decision because it forced me to, to build that wealth through through paying back my mortgage. So if you don't for if you don't find a way to build wealth while you're renting, probably won't work out. <laughs> so um, what does what cost does Alex Avery lay out in his book that owning has but renting does not? Yeah. So owning, if you own a house, you're going to have real estate commission, which is anywhere between uh, four to six percent that you'll pay when you sell your house. Uh, legal fees can be over a thousand dollars on the purchase, and then again on the sale. Land transfer tax which is a percentage of your value of your property. Uh, if you have less than 25% or 20% down payment, uh, you'll have to pay buy CMHC insurance for high-risk mortgages. Uh, of course, there's maintenance costs, which we talked about earlier, uh, very lumpy and unpredictable. House insurance, uh, this is separate from the contents insurance you would pay as a renter. Another thing is title insurance, you know, sort of protects the title of your property. Mortgage interest and I just want to say some of these costs are probably built into your rent. So the maintenance costs at some level are built into your rent. Property taxes are built into your rent. Uh, house insurance is probably built into your rent. And the cost of appliances, uh, fridge, stove, washer, dryer, if they come with your rental unit, the cost of those is probably somehow built into the price of your rent. So all those together in this totality really make renting seem very appealable. Yeah. Um, so now Trevor, I really want our listeners to hear your story because you said that you have, you have purchased homes, you didn't rent much, but I just want listeners to hear where you're coming from. So, uh, back in 1997, I bought a house for $155,000 and I would estimate its value today around $330,000. So 20 years later, had I invested that same money in a TSX index fund, it would be worth $467,000 today. So, wow. so you can pay a lot of rent there. And Definitely. Yeah. So I would have earned an 
an additional $137,000 in a TSX index fund, but you can't live in a TSX index fund, so you need to pay rent. So, so that, that sounds like a, a problem, but you, you could invest in a dividend fund, that 467000 which in essence would, would pay your rent. So it's, it's a possible solution. Does that solution, as a, just as listening to that, does that solution, do you think, would sound more complicated or be more complicated or not as straightforward to well, the average person? Do you know the problem with that is, is a lot of times people don't understand investment portfolios. I, I'm, I'm going to say I, I'm not, I don't, not that educated on it myself, but everyone understands real estate. You can see and touch a house or land. Everyone sees that. And, and there's a level of comforting in, in that as an investment. Is it, 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 it's maybe more predictable, easier to understand. Do you think investing, if you were to do the scenario where you do invest in TSX index funds, do you think that I, that way would be less legitimized than investing in real estate? Like, because less people would be doing that and it's people know what it means to invest in property. You'd have to be pretty strong-willed because there'd be a lot of people telling you you've, you've made a bad decision, and you know there's nothing safer than real estate. So it would it would take a pretty self-disciplined, determined individual to to ride that path. And from the standpoint of renting versus buying, do you think it's just one of those bandwagon things that people do because everyone else is doing it and they want to be like everyone else? Well, it's definitely a status thing uh, to own your home. It, it it's a it's a, it's a symbolism. It's it's a it, our society measures that as a level of success. It, it's it's it says something about you. And if you if you borrow all the money you can, it it maybe portrays wealth where renting usually never does. And on that note, precisely, I think renting does have a stigma attached to it, and that lower income earners rent because they can't afford to buy. You go online. There's a lot of nice rental properties in 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 cities. There's a lot of high-end condo rentals in downtown Toronto. I mean, they're not cheap, but uh, they're they're definitely. If you live there, it, it it is a status symbol. If you live in a building like some of the ones I looked at, I agree with that point. But would you not say that in smaller towns that it, it's you either buy or if you don't buy you are you it's because you can't afford yeah, it. yeah no definitely that but the because i think it is trendy it's trendy to live to rent and be able to move on the spot and live in a professional apartment building but in the suburbs i mean everyone owns and if you're renting in the suburbs it it, it, it is a stigma for sure definitely so i think that i think that concept alone will take it a while for there to be any sort of revolution where people are wanting to rent over buy well if the prices keep climbing like they are there's going to be more and more people being pushed out of the housing market and renting is going to maybe start to look a little normal that and that definitely could be what the renting market needs trevor in your lifetime has renting ever been been popular more popular than it is today or or has it been less popular well i know when i uh when i was starting out in my early 20s where the city i lived in we were hard pressed to find an apartment. We were on waiting list to get an apartment, and, th- and that was because interest rates were really high. So the cost of carrying a house was just unaffordable for some people. And at the time, you needed te- a ten percent down payment. Now you only need five. So a lot of people just didn't have the money to buy a house. So renting was the norm. But with low interest rates, they are like they are now. Uh, it's it's made it easy for a lot of people to get in the housing market. So I, I would say I remember a time when renting was not didn't have that kind of stigma attached to it. But I don't know. I would argue with you on saying that it's the norm as opposed to it was the requirement. People, it was it was the second second rate option. Well, you know, you're right. A lot of those people probably wanted to be homeowners, just they couldn't afford to. 
or there was no availability to or, or places to because of the high the high um interest rates yeah so i've prepared a, sp- a spreadsheet which is going to be available on our website livelifesimple.ca i did a little analysis to say well, what if i would have bought a uh, rented 20 years ago instead of bought and what i i'll just break down sort of what i did i won't throw any numbers out because you can look at the spreadsheet yourself but so i used e- Historical inflation factors back to 1997 to come up with maintenance costs, taxes, insurance, and the cost of renting. And you can see it all in the spreadsheet. And I estimated some costs, which I haven't incurred yet, which would be real estate commission because I haven't sold the property. Uh, Legal fees, I I can figure out what they're going to be. Mortgage interest, I know I kind of had an idea what that is. Obviously, over the years of paying off my mortgage, interest rates went up and down. I didn't keep that close track, but I've got an average in there. And I also used... uh, for my investment side, I used the historical TSX market index back to 1997. And interesting enough, it's pretty much a break-even, whether I rented or bought. So for me, had I chose to rent 20 years ago and invest in the TSX index funds, I would have it worked out about the same. Wow, that's that's really interesting because I was going to ask you, if you could do it again back in 1997, what would you have honestly done? Well, like I've said through this whole show, I don't think I possess the self-discipline to um, do the forced savings. So I would have bought again. I would have bought. But owning has provided me with many advantages. And I just want to go over those. It's tended to put me in nicer neighborhoods. It's offered my family a lot of stability, uh, meaning, you know, a landlord can't evict us because we own the property. Uh, For savings, I can't say that enough. Uh, it was a tangible asset that was easy to understand. So it, it didn't keep me awake at night wondering how my investments were doing. Fairly reliable investment returns, meaning the town I lived in, uh, that I live in, it, it's, it's out of the city, so there was no boom and bust. Uh, I was able to customize the property to suit my needs. As my family grew, you know, we did some renovations. And, and to a lesser extent, uh, this one's not that important to me, but pride of ownership. And the, as you'd mentioned earlier, in a small town, there is a stigma associated with renting. So those were some of the advantages I got from owning as opposed to renting. But owning has also provided me with many disadvantages in life. And one of the big ones was lack of mobility for career advancement. So we talked about the transaction costs associated with selling. And those, uh, I passed up a few really good job opportunities knowing I'd have to go through all the headaches of selling my house, listing it, and all that nonsense. So that definitely impacted me. Uh, the burden of home maintenance. And some people love yard work and gardening and home renovations. For me, it's a burden. I'm not a huge fan. I do them because they have to be done, but it's it's definitely a, something I'm not a fan of. I've also have over these 20 years been a investment creep has, has impacted me. I currently am an empty nester. I have more house than I need. Earlier in my house buying years, I definitely bought more house than I needed. There was a window of time where I had a family of three kids and I felt, you know, I, I couldn't live in a smaller house. So I had just the right size. But over the course, I definitely had more house than I need. And owning has required me to live a very predictable lifestyle. Obviously, you, you need to have a steady income to pay that mortgage. Uh, I may have taken more risks in life if I, if I didn't have to pay a mortgage, if I would just had to pay rent. So those are kind of the pros and cons that renting versus owning has impacted me personally that's a really great list and i think it really does highlight both the advantages and the disadvantages and i'm with you i don't think with your analysis it broke even i really don't think you can go wrong doing one or the other and uh, to, to to continue on that um i know you do have opinions on renting versus owning different phases of your life as well so i mean i guess you could go wrong renting versus buying in um phases of your life such as a student you definitely as a student you definitely want to rent 
or even as a young adult, I think rec- renting as well would be a good solution. Yeah, the one thing this book did for me, uh, The Wealthy Renter, the way it spun it, it was trying to sell the message that it's okay to rent. It, it's, it's, it's not, you're not throwing money away like people have been saying for years. Owning versus renting in different phases of your life is something that needs, needs to be considered. So as a student, obviously you don't have a stream of income. Renting makes a lot of sense. Uh, young adult, someone starting a career, I think renting makes a lot of sense. It gives you a lot of mobility to go chase jobs, gain experience that if you were tied to a one city or one town, you wouldn't, other, wouldn't otherwise get. But when you're raising a family, I think it's important to buy. You, you need that stability. Uh, you need to give your kids a, a foundation, uh, somewhere to call home. Some the Kids gain a lot from that predictability, that routine. But as an empty nester, I, I think maybe at that point you're over-consuming. Maybe you should, you, you could consider renting, especially if you've built up the wealth owning a home. You could take that money, invest it in an index fund or a dividend fund, and that that could pay your rent. And in retirement, I mean, with home maintenance and, and you know, snowbirds going down to Florida in the winter, renting makes a lot of sense. It, it, it gives you a lot of freedom to come and go as you please. You're not tied down and physically unable to do work. You might have to hire people. So I think r- renting in, in certain phases of your life it makes sense. And Trevor, would you say that whatever becomes your normal becomes acceptable? I mean, as a, as a student myself, I'm renting at the moment. And all my friends are renting, everyone's renting, and that has become very normal for me. And I see myself as a young working professional to be okay with renting for a while. Like, I don't see, unless I started a family, any real reason why I would feel like I needed to buy. Well, you know, there's an expression that you're you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And if you continue to spend time with people who rent, ma- the majority of them rent, then you're going to be okay with renting. But as soon as those same that same circle of friends start buying houses, you're going to feel pressure to do the same definitely that's a great point so trevor before we end this episode is there any simple money solutions that you would like to tie this episode with well i just want to say and this is straight out of alex avery's book it's okay to rent renting shouldn't have the stigma attached to it that that it currently does and you can do quite fine renting and building wealth just as homeowners do well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to check out our show notes and the Excel spreadsheet that Trevor has created at livelifesimple.ca. Also, make sure to give this show a ring on iTunes and check us out on all our social media platforms as well. Until next week, 